This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 125 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, the science of motion. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our title sponsor is Omega Alpha. You can find them at omegaalpha.ca. This episode is also sponsored by Equestrian Collections at equestriancollections.com. Plus, Uncle Jimmy's, and you can find them at uncle-jimmy's.com. This is Helena B. Oh, and this is Jennifer H. <laughs> and you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Woo-hoo. Welcome, Jen. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Hi-ho. We're going to talk about the science of motion and uh, the the fellow behind it, Jean-Luc Corneille. Uh, Jennifer and I are, we, we've had an in-depth discussion with Jean-Luc, and, uh, and the sound file is a little bit muddy, but it will be played in full at the end of this podcast. So if you'd it's like well to It's well worth it. It's well worth it. If you'd like yeah. to hear the entire Jean-Luc interview, uh, you can go to the stay end tuned. of this po- You stay tuned to the end of this podcast and listen to that in its entirety. Jean-Luc Corneille's competitive career is as distinguished as it is diversified. Uh, he competed at national and international levels in dressage, steeplechase, stadium jumping, and three-day events. He's won extensively in all specialties, collecting several gold, silver, and bronze medals. Notably, Jean-Luc won the individual and team gold medal at the Military World Championship of Fontainebleau in 1975. In 1971, he won silver at the World Championship of Punchestown. The following year, Jean-Luc was a member of the winning team at Bocello. However, Jean-Luc feels his greatest success lies in his ability to intuit the physical and mental condition of each horse the day after their victories. Uh, So I think you'll all really enjoy uh, Jean-Luc's philosophy and the science of motion as Jennifer and I chat about it ad nauseum. Um, but before this, this week's episode gets fully underway, we're going to take a minute to highlight one of our sponsors, Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha Pharmaceuticals creates only natural health products. Their scientists, guided by Dr. Gordon Chang, formulate a wide variety of mainly herbal health products to address many equine health problems. And one of their users is international Canadian sensation event rider Jessica Phoenix. And we have Jessica on here for a second to tell us what she thinks about Omega Alpha. Well, hi, Jess. I hear that you use Omega Alpha. I do. I love their products. I've started using them this year, um, and the one product that I really love is Anti-Flam. It just takes the sting out of the horse's feet and keeps them moving comfortably, Um, and I know that from using it in our barn, a lot of horses have benefited from it. You can look for their products at retailers nationwide or visit their website at omegaalpha.ca. That's omegaalpha.ca. And always our thanks to Omega Alpha, and uh, let's see, Jen, what... uh what can we say about Jean-Luc Corneille? Well, I'm probably not even saying that right. Jean-Luc Corneille. Yeah. This, is what we, this is how we need to open the show. Yes. Our apologies in advance to Jean-Luc for mispronouncing his name. <laughs> and, that, and I've had like 12 years of French. Um, and uh, he, he, he has uh, founded this, this training philosophy, and it's called the science of motion. And it is actually, it's based on the biomechanics of the horse and the physics of, of movement, of equine movement. And um, 
Now, my trainer has ridden with him and has studied under him to some degree. And her entire thought process about training and movement and collection and all that fun stuff has been turned on its ear. And um, I've started putting some of these these training techniques into practice, and they're already working for me and my horse. So, um, But, of course, I don't do anything without Jennifer's approval first. <laughs> oh, least, yeah, right. At least for over-analysis. So, um. Yes. Yeah. So, well, see, the backstory on mine, I am familiar with some of Jean-Luc's philosophies, um, having read bits and pieces of it and been exposed to people who have ridden at clinics and the like. Um, he's kind of, it's interesting that it's called the science of motion and the word science is at the beginning. And something that I found really interesting about the conversation is it's the science of motion in that he applies hard, fast rules of science to what we do with horses, yes, which is great. Is, yes, this is not anecdotal. Oh, I'm standing here and I'm watching and therefore it right. is true. Right. Yes. Um, but what I found so interesting is reading around in the Science of Motion website, which is awfully cool. So um, if you ever have some time to yourself and want to really get into some deep stuff, go to scienceofmotion.com. Um he also has an enormous respect and appreciation of the horse as a thinking and, and feeling being, which I found interesting that the yes, two but, are so interestingly, they're meshed in such a way. I thought that was fascinating. Without anthropomorphizing, he does not apply human behavior to the horse. No. He appreciates that the horse is an individual and has thoughts and feelings and, and, and emotions but he doesn't necessarily apply human behavior to the horse, which is refreshing because usually you find one or the other. The horse is simply a tool or, uh, you know, the horse is so much like us. And, right. you know, so he seems to have found that middle ground quite nicely. Yeah. He, and he, he makes a lot of interesting um, points about how we are different. And that's how we end up getting in each other's way. For example, we talked about... Um, because traditionally, we've most of us have been taught that the horses, the horse will mimic your movement in your spine, and it, it's interesting his philosophy about how the horse's body and our body can mimic each other, and the horse comes at it from such a different point of view than we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Well, he's you know the thing that he purports is that there's this this pyramid of training uh, that that's prevalent in, in the dressage world um and he says that's dead and i said well what the heck is the pyramid of training i you know most trainers and, and people who've been around a little bit longer than i have know what it is um and i'll i'll tell you i'll tell our listeners what basically what it is it's it's a pyramid it's a triangle and at the bottom of the uh the pyramid is rhythm and that's sort of these are the the achievements that you're working towards so first you're going to start with rhythm, energy, and tempo in your horse. And once you gain that, you're going to move up to relaxation, which will help bring elasticity and suppleness in your horse. Again, you achieve relaxation, and then you move up to connection, which is the acceptance of the bit through the horse's acceptance of the aids. Okay, so we move on from connection, and we go to impulsion. Aha! Oh, that famous word. That famous word, so you get increased energy and thrust. Now, Okay, so then from impulsion, we move on to straightness, improved alignment and balance. Interesting how straightness comes so late in the program. Yes, yes, and we're going to talk about that. And then finally, the holy grail or the very top of this pyramid is 
collection, something that uh-huh. we all look for. Now, the funny thing is, is with this pyramid is you, according to any pyramid, you cannot achieve one without the other. So the training. Right, they build on one another. If you, exactly. don't have, if you don't have number one, you can't get number two. It's linear, which I have a problem with anything linear. Because it's right. <laughs> You know, the, the third step in the process is, uh, you know, you, you just can't achieve that unless you've achieved step one and two. And, and in real life, I, you know what? Some days you get a little relaxation. Some days okay. you get the connection. <laughs> it just doesn't happen in, in a linear fashion. Now, Jean-Luc says the pyramid of training is <laughs> kaputs. He starts out with straightness, doesn't he, Jen? Absolutely, which, which is very interesting. Um, in my own little teeny weeny um, little goldfish in a big pond way, I completely am on his page that way. Um, had the opportunity or maybe the, maybe opportunity is not the right word. Worked with a lot of off the track thoroughbreds over the years. <laughs> they were readily available in my life. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. And when you're a racehorse, your life is not straight. In other words, your spine is never aligned and communicating with your body at any level. You don't walk straight. You don't stand in your stall straight. You don't get led straight. You don't even race straight. If you watch the horses, they're all crooked because that's not important to their life. What's important to their life is, is other stuff. And I found over the years that so many of them, easily eight out of ten, um, strange, bizarre, and scary things would happen when they did get straight of their own cognizance. In other words, they made themselves straight versus us, versus us asking them to be straight. Oh, so they discovered it. They, they discovered they, straightness. And what kinds of strange things happened? Well, frequently they would go straight up in the air and then backwards. Hmm. <laughs> because they didn't know what to do with it. It's like, oh my gosh, that's a weird feeling. You so know. they go up. They don't run because they've never run straight before. They're pulling on past experience. For them, going fast did not mean going fast and straight. For them, meant fast meant going fast at a, in a particular version of straight for them, which was really right. Crooked. So, so going when they forward, did discover it, it was completely foreign. <laughs> okay, so going so so to a, a racehorse, going forward meant going crooked, or being crooked meant going forward. So now you suddenly that's straighten a, that's this horse out. How it was done. It's kind of like a little baby when they first discover standing up and walking when they first discover standing up standing up is with your hand on something right right it's what comes yep. first and then at some point they let go because they're trying to find something else and they discover that they can stand without holding something it's literally discovery it's that exact same i think personally the same mental process for that horse in that it's a discovery's going whoa how that happen Right. He didn't go, I'm going to make my spine straight. And he didn't say, I'm going to make my spine straight because you told me to. That's for darn sure. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, so it's John interesting Luke how says, he's, he's taken all that and, and really backed it up with real science. So he, so he says, you, you, you can't get rhythm, relaxation, connection. You can't get all these things that you're trying to, that you're working toward without that straightness first. And, and he talks about the vertebral column. Um, which is the vertebrae, the horse's spine, uh, your spine. So he says you have to have straightness in the rider because if you don't, if you have a crooked rider, you have you interfere with the muscles of the horse's back. Mm-hmm. And the horse reacts to that interference 
by going by making himself crooked. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, so when so to some extent, though, I think Jean-Luc is saying um, it's it is kind of difficult to understand him. He's, he's got this lovely, thick French accent, which <laughs> if I didn't really have to understand what he was saying, I could listen to it all day. If he was reading poetry, I know <laughs> or singing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but so I think what he's trying to say is that if you, if if we as riders allow ourselves to be straight, we remove the interference and then our horses have the chance to um, like to discover their own straightness. Mm-hmm. Did you get he, that? Yeah. He makes a really interesting comment um, on the science of motion website. There's a whole bunch of video clips because he, a lot of, um, he has lots of DVDs available for purchase, but there's little clips of them. Mm-hmm. And he has a great voiceover on the clips that it talks about what's happening, what you're seeing and what, what's happening there. Um, which is done beautifully. It's obviously they hired a professional to produce these things because they're really nice. Um, he talks about allowing the horse, essentially setting them up for success, but letting them make the mistake. Don't create the situation where the only answer is the right answer, but ah. set it up so that the easiest answer is the right answer. And that doesn't necessarily mean the horse is going to pick what we perceive as the easiest answer first. And he's working with a horse called Chazo, which he has a whole series of videos and I can't wait to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he show, and he, you see the horse being set up for success. He's asking the horse to do a shoulder in, um, in hand. And you can see the horse going, mm, right. In, try this answer. This sounds, this sounds like something I can do. Mm-hmm. And he discovers because the handler, um, Jean-Luc continues to just, keep the same mathematical equation out there. He doesn't change the equation when mm-hmm. the horse gives him the wrong answer. So when the horse gets the wrong answer, he discovers for himself, oh, that's not what I want to do. That's not comfortable. That's not fun. So he just goes back to it put and puts, quotes, puts the aids on. He creates the exact same equation for the horse. Right. The horse tries a different answer because the first one's like, ew, yuck, didn't like that. Right. And you can tell by the horse's expression he didn't like it. Right. So, so he received a, a negative response. He created his, own, his disp- own negative response. Disp- yep. Um, Jean-Luc didn't so much cr- change his mathematical equation as the horse came to the end and went, oh, there's not five apples in that basket at all. Right. And he gets and he gets through this after two or three minutes. And the horse goes, oh, I just got that. And he gets the right answer for and, three and seconds. He, and he knows it's the right answer because it's comfortable. But very interesting. He only has it for three seconds. And then the horse goes, oh, that was kind of weird. I've never done that before. Kind of like a little baby stands up, has right. a hold of the table. Right. Let's go to the table. Goes, oh, I can do this, but I've never done it before. Better grab a hold of the table. Yes. So he goes right back to the uncomfortable way. And he, and he goes back and forth and back and forth. But it's interesting to watch Jean-Luc work with the horse because Jean-Luc never says, um, oh, that's the wrong answer. I need to change things. He just keeps it consistent so that the horse keeps rediscovering the fact that, oh, this uh, wow that right answer was kind of uh, wow it's not scary at all it's kind of cool right and he talks about the horse's process of self discovery so that he's literally teaching himself right and 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 the reward again is is comfort because yeah, he, he says, goes you know, oh that's nice right and it's not because that and that's where he says you know the horse is a thinking feeling being um, but what he's thinking and feeling is what he's searching for is comfort. Because mm-hmm. the horse wasn't born to carry a rider. So 
if you if he if he figures out a way to make carrying a rider comfortable, he's going to repeat whatever he did to right. find that comfort again. And uh, but you know, and the more we talk about this, the more this is really important to me is that um, allowing the horse the opportunity to do this trial and error process <clears throat> takes time. And he said a couple of months. And I know a lot yeah, of people you were, have... you were asking about Pi. It's like, well, we tried this with Pi, but as soon as we asked for the next step, Pi went back to the old habit. And he and, told and, you, didn't he? Oh, yes. And then the next step was don't even think about trotting. Don't even think about asking for straightness at the trot. And, you know, it was good to have a concrete time frame, a couple of months. That's, you know, working with your horse fairly regularly, a couple of times a week at the very least. Mm-hmm. So, you know... But the, again, it's the time and the patience, which we hear from everybody. We hear from every type of clinician, every type of trainer, whether it's natural horsemanship or even, you know, your traditional trainers. Mm-hmm. It takes time. You have to have patience. But knowing that it could take a few months just for your horse to try and err and try and err and understand, oh, okay, if I get my, my spine lined up just right, that's comfortable. Well, and interestingly enough, for those of us who... Um, have not done this before and that we've gone through the training pyramid as we've used it for the past, you know, 200 years and you try working with animals this way, it's going to be the same way for the handler or the rider in that the rider's going to foul it up and the rider has to go through that same process of discovery. Yeah. Um, I know the first time I ever sat genuinely in the middle of a horse, I got Hmm. it. It was like a giant light bulb went off in my head. But what was very interesting is that I could get it and I'd have it for two, three steps and the horse would go, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And then I'd lose it and the horse would go all wonky. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, the, the handler or the rider has to go through that same process of learning it and discovering it internally um, as the horse does. And I think the, the, the human gets frustrated with it and then that fouls up the horse figuring it out. Right. Because right. we change it because we get frustrated. Right. But that's, you know, and it's hard because I think we are, we're not really big fans of repetition. We, we're humans. We get bored very easily, you know, and one of yeah, the we, things. We, ha- we see the horse show date looming ahead. Yes, we have deadlines and we have uh, structure. We have parameters within which we need to ride and train. And, you know, that's part of what Jean-Luc, you know, nixes about the training pyramid. It is, is It puts very concrete goals down you have to go from step a to step b to step c and you know what i the, the i had that big light bulb and you know what, what john luke said was that this really is it, it's efficiency you know mm-hmm. it's the way a horse should move is very efficiently and when i was working with pie the reason i knew i got it right is because i didn't have to do anything it yeah. became so easy and his movements became so efficient I could feel, you know, sometimes you have that exercise where your trainer asks you to close your eyes and feel which leg is moving forward at any given time. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to do that ever. And so, you know, unless it's an exaggerated hind leg movement or something, mm-hmm. but I was able to tell exactly which leg was going when, and this is because the movement was so light and it was so up and down. You know, instead of that side to side swinging motion or that front to back motion, I suddenly felt this up and down motion. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And yeah. And, and it was easy and I didn't yeah. have to do anything. I didn't even, I didn't, you know, there's that you put your leg on it. You know, sometimes I ride with spurs because I, mm-hmm. you know, pies sides are a little bit dense, you know, and I feel like I need to lift him. You know, when we're lifting into the canner or I want more suspension, I have to use my legs and my spurs to lift. I didn't, I barely had my leg on and I got more lift than I'd ever asked for. With autopilot. Yeah. I used to call that autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, before we get we, before we uh, get too far into the next subject, uh, let's hear from one of our wonderful sponsors. Oh yes. Hey everyone, it's that time of the year again for after holiday closeout sales, and Equestrian Collections has hundreds of items for you at tremendous savings up to seventy percent off. Closeouts from Ariat, JPC, Pessoa, Ovation, and so many more. Highly discounted specials include ladies' apparel, footwear, saddle pads, bags, belts, coats, and the list goes on and on. Remember, you can save up to 70% now, but this is a closeout and quantities are limited. So grab the keyboard and type in equestriancollections.com. You'll see the great big ad right on their homepage for all of their closeout specials now for the month of January. Get them before they're gone at equestriancollections.com. Okay, and we're back. I'm with Jennifer H. today. This is Helena B. And we're talking about the science of motion and Jean-Luc Corneille. Uh, Jennifer and I are <laughs> we're going way off on a tangent and talking about this stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think what Jean-Luc has to say is not what we've been hearing for a long time. It's relatively new, uh, even though it's sort of been the science of it has been discovered or has been known since the turn of the century. Uh, Jean-Luc is moving the... Uh, the, the biomechanics and the study of the horse's biomechanics up into the 21st century. Um, it's the science of motion. We encourage you to go to his website, scienceofmotion.com and learn, read some of the articles, but more importantly, watch the videos. Um, what do you think, Jen? That, yeah, I'm a visual learner. So that works for me. And, um, one of the things that Jean-Luc mentioned, um, when we chatted with him, which I thought was very interesting, um, is they're going to start having um, intensives, for lack of a better term, where you can go and stay at the facility and really be immersed in this so that you can get the big picture versus if you have the opportunity to do a clinic, that's awesome because yeah. then you can ride it and feel it and, and do that much in a short period of time for a day or two. But being able to go in for an extended period of time and get the theory and the mechanics and watch other people ride and then you're riding and really get some in-depth stuff I think is kind of exciting. Um, put that on my Christmas list, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is really very interesting stuff because it, it really helps people learn about – because we, a lot of us learn about mechanics of horses. In other words, the, uh, the pastern and bone is connected to the coffin bone. I mean, we, right. we learn that. Plain old anatomy. Yeah, but we don't learn the relationship betwixt them and how it really applies to what we're asking of the horse. Right. Um, So there's there's something for everybody there. You could learn by watching these. There's video clips so you can see what you're buying. Um, They're awesome. There's a great little piece on the website um, called Chazot's Thoughts. It's one of the horses that he's, <laughs> he's been working with. And I love it because it's, you know, uh, Ch- Ch- Chazot 
is mm -hmm. a off the track thoroughbred. So it's really fun to, and it's written in the first person. And so he's stereotypical of off the yeah, track thoroughbred. Yeah, he is, he is very much so. <laughs> um, so it's, it's obvious, it's fun to, to see the two interacting because Jean-Luc seems to be such a grounded, thoughtful um, athlete. Um, and if anybody doubts his athleticism, just watch the part, the, the video clip on the website, Chazo's highest rear. Hello. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's under videos. Scroll down to the bottom of under, under yeah, videos. Yeah. He, yeah. He's an athlete, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, you will <gasps> gasp. Yeah. You'll gasp. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting, cool stuff. So I encourage everybody to stop by there and, uh, and learn more about this man. I think he's interesting and I think he's got a little bit of a, a groundswell going for people who are open to rethinking a little bit about how they get to that end goal. The end goal is the same. I mean, um, Jean-Luc was an eventer from way back. He, he won Fontainebleau in, I think, 1970-something. You know, he's, he's a hardcore rider. Yeah, um, and he was a gymnast before. And a, and a gymnast, exactly. So it's, he's, he, his, go, his end goal isn't any different than the rest of us. Um, but his path to get there is, is very interesting and uh, kind of cool. Yeah, and I, I really like the tagline, you know, it, it's science of motion, there is a better way. And, you know, I'm not the type of person who puts all her eggs in one basket. I don't think, oh, you know, he, this guy's serving up some Kool-Aid and I'm going to drink a whole jug of it. <laughs> I'm very skeptical about things. That, but on the other hand, I really appreciate the science behind the science of his research. Yes. And there's a uh, lot of science. It's, it's not mumbo jumbo. No, it's not and, mumbo jumbo. Um, and that's the most important thing yeah. that you need to take away from this podcast with you today is that this is not anecdotal. This is not guesswork. This is true science behind the philosophy. And, um, you know, I have not personally had a chance to ride with him, but he does come to my area. I'm, I'm going to give it a try, uh, mm -hmm. because I'm told that riding with him is, um, just an experience. You, you, you really get it. You really internalize this science by doing, you know, yes. and he's, he's, he's got this thick French accent, but when you're on a horse, the person who's on the ground and teaching you could speak any language they want. Somehow they're able to say yes and no. When you get it right, they go, yes. <laughs> and when you got it wrong, they say no. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. And just so, like every, every other um, philosophy training technique process that we come across as horse folks, um, check into it because it doesn't matter which philosophy you follow. There's going to be some niblets that you can take away. Yeah. Yeah. This incorporates a little bit of everything. You know, yeah. it's, it, that's the other nice thing is he doesn't exclude anything except for the training period. I've not he heard him say, don't do this or don't do that except for, you know, that old training, training pyramid method isn't really the way isn't really the way. There is a better way. And so there is. Now let's take a break and hear from one of our great sponsors and then sit back and listen to our conversation with John Luke. Regular listeners to the Stable Scoop show know that Helena and I just love Uncle Jimmy's and his fantastic line of products. His products have the highest quality ingredients, and that is why they have taken off like they have. Of course, it all started with Uncle Jimmy's hanging balls for use in the stalls, and then came squeezy buns. We know you need to reward your horse outside of the stall as well. That is why Uncle Jimmy developed Uncle Jimmy's squeezy buns. Squeezy buns are all natural and loaded with nutritional ingredients for your horse. Unlike similar products on the market, they are individually wrapped to preserve freshness and eliminate mess. 
With competitive pricing and Uncle Jimmy's quality guarantee, the Squeezy Buns promise to be a hit among horses and horse lovers alike. Learn more about all of Uncle Jimmy's products or to find a dealer, visit uncle-jimmys.com. That's uncle-jimmys.com. So welcome, Jean-Luc. I'm very happy to have you on the Stable Scoop show today. I, I would really like to take this morning to talk about the science of motion and have you explain for our listeners exactly what the science of motion is when it comes to horses and um, what are the most common misconceptions about the biomechanics of the horse. And then we're going to move through that and uh, talk about how we can all help our horses improve their movement. So let's start with explaining to, to the folks what the science of motion is. Okay. It's about uh, preparing efficiently the horse physique for the effort. The common thinking is an legs problem uh, create back issue. Uh, we have uh, experience through um, actual knowledge of the equine physiology and the practical application of this knowledge we have experienced that, in fact, it is the back who create uh, most of the time the leg problem. The back yeah. is the most, so most of the leg problems come from the back problems. Come from the back, yes. Okay. The way the, the, way the vertebral colon functions. So <clears throat> we have developed a technique uh, studying actual knowledge of the vertebral colon mechanism and uh, applying this knowledge for better performance and also for the re-education of uh, horses who have lameness issue, we have created a system who permit to uh, quite efficiently uh, orchestrate the horse vertebral column. It has to be done through the horse intelligence. There are, for example, 185 synovial articulations in the vertebral column. All that move in a range of motion extremely limited. Uh -huh. So we have a we have a very large diversity of movement within a minuscule range of motion. I can't see. I can't see mine. Okay, so so, so we have this limited range of motion. Yes. And um, what? And you say that it's it. We're looking for efficiency here. How do we um what? <clears throat> In its most simplest terms, how, what is the efficiency? What are, what are we looking to do or what do you do with your horse's back that will change their, their motion? Well, you have to create symmetry as much as possible. Basically, you have to create a functional uh, vertebral column. The horse never comes perfect. They always come with asymmetry, morphological okay. flow. And therefore, that has to be addressed. The conventional principle of riding doesn't permit to do that because they uh, are based on the added on the lower line, abdominal muscles, pectoral muscles, are flexing the upper line, the vertebral column. In reality, the muscles who flex the vertebral column are situated above the vertebra, and they are in mirror image direction. So they have to be coordinate, uh, and it's uh, not simple to do because there are many and in opposite direction. The only way to do that is to guide the horse brain, the horse mental processing, to 
what the world is more efficient use of the vertebral colon. So you create, <coughs> sorry, you create situation and let the horse process mentally, knowing that the situation you create has one solution. The most efficient solution is a coordination than of the vertebral colon that is going to permit the horse to perform well. The horse have to figure this coordination, and therefore is going to try the way uh, the horse thinks, trial and error. is going to try error, and then is going to try good solution. Right. We, well, you do if not he, finish. I'm sorry. If he, if you let, how, what's the best way to let your horse figure out what is the best solution on the ground or? mounted because I know that a lot of riders are naturally um, asymmetrical and you know we we can work on ourselves but if you have an asymmetrical rider on an asymmetrical horse the horse is going to have a harder time figuring out that solution so which is the best way unmounted or mounted the best way is on the saddle uh, the, the game is on the movement that the rider receives in the back are not the movement of the horse vertebral colon they are the movement of the legs and the body. Therefore, the rider receives an amplitude of movement which is greater than the range of movement of the vertebral colon, the horse vertebral colon. Therefore, the rider needs to reduce the, the sum of movement which is received in his or her vertebral colon. They have to reduce it in order to match the amplitude of movement of the horse vertebral colon. So you talk about supple resistance. The, the back moves, but not too much. Once the, the rider succeeds to uh, control the movement of his or her vertebral colon in a way that matches the amplitude of movement of the horse vertebral colon, the relationship commences. The conversation starts. Then the horse will follow the rider, and in order to follow the rider, he will have to change the coordination of his own back. Of course, he will not do it the right way first. He will, he will first do it instinctively, protecting whenever muscle imbalance the horse does have. Then, and therefore, the first tentative of the horse will be an error. He will go too fast, he will not stay straight, he will do mistake. And then the rider, correct, but on a gentle fashion, the rider, in fact, guide the horse brain toward the coordination, which is going to permit the horse to control gravity, inertia, and the force created by the legs. So the, the rider is the best uh, help for the horse. It is possible to do it in hand, and in fact, we, we use the work in hand a lot, and it does have its place in the education of the horse. But the, 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 more, the easier way to do it is from the saddle. Okay. Okay. What do you think, I'm, Jen? I'm, work, I'm, I'm, di I'm digesting this. Um, <laughs> let me see if I've got this right, because you, you said a lot there, Jean-Luc. <laughs> um, I know. By... Being on the horse and the rider can control his own symmetry and spine because he is sitting on the horse 
that communication goes directly to the horse's spine because they're basically in contact with one another. By doing that, that is what tells the horse that he should be symmetrical because the horse is instinctively going to try and mimic the rider's symmetry. Well, it's not Am I close? About, uh, <laughs> Am I even close? Yeah, you are close. Um, it's not about movement. I say, you know, you know the equestrian theory is on the, the horse vertebral colon swing and the more the vertebral colon swing, the more the horse moves. That is uh, completely false. Ah. The, horse the horse vertebral colon has a very, very narrow range of movement. Longe dorsoventral, which is longitudinally. The range of movement is no more than, in experimental condition, three inch and a quarter. In reality, it's probably no more than one inch. That's how uh, much it should swing left to right, you're saying, from side to side. It, uh, not, it's a very no, limited... No, no, not side to side, up down. The, oh, the dorsoventral okay. dorso rotation is very, very limited. Okay. The lateral movement is a little bit more, but is limited in the front part of the vertebral colon, only the 16 first thoracic vertebra. There is very little lateral movement on the lumbar region of the horse. So you deal with a vertebral colon, which in fact does not move too much. The second problem is that the back muscles have a first job, which is to protect the vertebral colon structure. Therefore, the back muscles are not going to let the vertebral colon move more. They are going to be sure that the vertebral colon stay within the limits of its possible range of motion. For the traditional concept of swinging the back and, and swinging the rider back and swinging the horse back are based on a theory which is not the reality. The, it, it functions, in fact, the other way. The, the vertebral colon reduces, resists, redirects, organizes force. Forces are created by the legs, by gravity, by inertia, by the rider. Those the, the vertebral colon, the horse vertebral colon, reduces those forces to be sure that the vertebral colon does not move more than what the structure is designed to move. So, okay. the, rider, so the rider receives a large amount of force. The rider receives the legs action, which make, uh, if you don't resist, make the rider back move a lot. That's where it comes the theory of the rider relaxing the back. If the rider does that, he will be comfortable on the horse, more or less, but the horse will not be capable to function. The horse vertebral colon will have to resist the movement of the rider back. Therefore, so, the trick, the, oh. the harmony with the horse is not more, but less. The harmony with the horse is to reduce through the entire vertebral colon of the rider, the, the force which are induced in a rider vertebral colon need to reduce it in order to move in the same range of motion than the horse vertebral colon, which is very limited. So we, you go the other way than the, the mainstream. The mainstream re talk about relaxation of the back, increase the movement. That cannot be done. So the, the process is the other way. You reduce the movement who come in your body, 
in order than your vertebral column does not move more than a horse vertebral column. Okay, I think I've got it. Now, John Luke, you're making my brain cells sweat. (laughs) Um, Let me see if I got. So, when again, we've been most of us taught that the horse's back swings more. So we're standing there watching a horse go, and what we see visually, we say out loud, "Oh, look, his back is swinging more now," because we see a change in what we perceive it as an improvement in the way the horse is moving. What are we really seeing if we're not seeing his back swing more? What do we, what are we really seeing? What is changing if it's not his spine? It's a body movement. You have the, the hand leg create 43% of the vertical impulse. Oh. The foreleg, which is the contrary of what we think, the foreleg create 57% of the vertical impulse. So the legs are creating force, horizontal and vertical. When the four legs receive too much force, they don't push as much. At the contrary, when the, the vertebral column works the way it should, controlling how much force is coming on the four legs, the four legs are receiving less force, and then you see more upward propulsion. About the hand leg, when the hand leg functions well, when the vertebral column functions well, the hand leg can swing forward because there is dorsoventral rotation, the tilt of the pelvis up-down. And the greater the tilt of the pelvis, the greater the engagement of the hand leg. Mm. So when the, ver- the horse functions well, when the vertebral column and the legs are properly coordinated, you effectively see more movement which can be visually interpreted as a swing. You, ah. effectively, you effectively feel more movement because the hand leg push more and the forelegs push more. So you have more uh, up and down movement. You have more mm-hmm. suspension in the gait. And therefore, the rider feels more movement. And that is why our ancestors, who did not have the technology we have today, have interpreted more the feeling or more, more movement as being the feeling of more motion of the vertebral column. But it is not that. It's the vertebral column which is better orchestrated, better controlled, better the force created by the hand leg, and consequently permit greater activity of the hand leg and greater upward propulsive force of the forelegs. So visually, in terms of visual impression and feeling, we see more. But that is not created by more swing of the vertebral column. It is created by a better orchestration of numerous and minuscule contraction and compensatory contraction. Hmm. So we talk about swing, relaxation, etc. That's not that at all. It's a better orchestration of a very complicated mechanism. Jean-Luc, I have a question for you. Um, my, this is Helena. My instructor recently rode with you at a clinic that you gave at Heritage Farm here in Rhode Island. And um, she then came back and was thoroughly impressed with what she learned while riding with you and had passed on some of your wisdom to me in a lesson um, on, on my horse, who is sometimes um, an upside-down Arab saddlebred cross. And one of the things that she had me do was slow down to a crawl. 
and this was just work at the walk. Um, no, nothing that you weren't really pushing the horse or forcing the horse to do anything, but simply to get him to slow down enough so that uh, he could he could align his his spine and I could align mine. And what I found was that the slower we went, the um, the lighter his four legs felt and um, the more movement I felt from the back legs. But as soon as we picked up speed in the slightest, he got crooked. We both got crooked. But the slower we went, the straighter we were. Why is that? Well, it's a good, uh, it's a good observation. The back muscles, which are set in mirror image direction, they are called basically longissimus dorsal, which are oriented down and forward, and multifidus, which are oriented the other way. They resist gravity. So gravity is pulling the body down. In order to resist gravity, they create a vertical force. It is done by a system which is called rotary movement. Rotary but, movement, okay. Yeah, but the, the term are um, things evolve constantly. So if you follow the explanation of James Roney in uh, 1976, uh, it's not the same than Jean-Marie Denoir in 1999. They all follow the same idea, but things progress. In fact, today, the concept go even to a more general uh, function, functioning of the vertebral column. So <clears throat> the words are difficult because things change. But basically, the muscular system who resists gravity, okay, it's a muscular system who lifts the back. When the horse moves, you can consider then, because inertia and propulsive force come, then gravity became acceleration of gravity, translocation of gravity through the spine. If you want the horse to uh, think to use this muscular system, you have to do what this muscular system is designed to do, which is resist acceleration of gravity. So if you have the horse to slow down with your back, not with your hand, so he does not have the support of your hand, but you have to do it by himself. In order to follow your back as you slow down your movement, he will slow down using the muscular system, which is designed to do that. So that's that how you educate the horse to uh, start to control the biomechanic of his vertebral colon. The system is natural, but the horse in the wild does not trot on a collected trot uh, in, a, in a countryside. Okay? They run away from the wolf, they break, they eat, but they don't do collected movement. So even if muscular system naturally does that, he has to be educated for the specific demand of uh, the, equestrian, uh, the equestrian sport, dressage, jumping, Day event. So the second we, we want the horse to control balance, we have to educate this system. So you start by slowing down and <coughs> you have observed yourself on your own horse and as you do that, he effectively became wrong. So what he was doing, in fact, he was converting the truss created by the wrong leg into what is called vertical force. Vertical force are the force who resist attraction of gravity. So the vertebral colon was doing a good job converting the truss created by the hand leg into forward movement, horizontal force, 
and balance control vertical force. However, it is a very complicated mechanism, and therefore, <coughs> the ones have to learn to, ma to feel it, control it, master it, and then realize that he is comfortable doing that. That mm. takes a few months. Then, once the horse became really good in controlling his balance with the back, you start to increase the activity of the hand leg. Of course, the second you increase the activity of the hand leg, more force comes in the spine, and the horse who naturally think in the moment, the horse naturally protects his, his natural reflex, not the educated one. So the first choice of the horse will be naturally to go back to speed. So then you teach him. So you do a progressive attempt to increase the activity of the hand leg, but simultaneously control this activity with a vertebral column mechanism. That takes several months. So the horse, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> hey, uh, Pi's, uh, Pi's learning curve is just steeper than you think. That's all. <laughs> Well, uh -huh. yeah, it's true. He's, he he wanted to go back to that speed thing pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but he also he also figured it out. Or actually, I should say is I had to lead the way. The, the faster I figured it out, the faster he figured it out. Oh, well, so when you, when you yeah. did it right, he did it right. Of course, yes. When I didn't interfere with his back, <laughs> he he was he was more free to do that trial and error thing that John Luke is talking about and. The more, you know, obviously the more opportunities he had to try and err, the, the greater his chances were for figuring it out. And he was a happy boy. I could feel a change in the tension. The, the tension disappeared. And that was the only way I knew that we got it right is we, because, like Jean-Luc says, it suddenly became very easy to be straight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's but it's well, also fleeting. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, that's what, what you just said there is very important. Uh, the, the way the reason horses uh, gradually learn to do it by themselves, and then it gives them the solution. The horse is not born to carry a rider. Therefore, the second we put a rider on their back, we should give them the solution to do that efficiently. They don't. They are going to contract the back. Are, each horse is going to do it his own way. Mm -hmm. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. But it's all they know. Therefore, they live like that. But since they never do it symmetrically or they never do it correctly, they get, they start to have abnormal stress on the legs and they become lame. So the horse have to learn how to do that. And when we teach them how to do it, they realize in their cerebellum, which is in their brain, who monitor their body, they realize that it's comfortable. It's easy. They don't know exactly how to go there. But they recognize that it's easy. So they let you do it. They let you guide them because they, they start to realize that you guide them toward the comfort zone. And then the more they do it, the more they become capable to do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. they, still, they still need help, but less and less help. And when they are become capable to do it by themselves, then when you, if you put more activity of the hand leg, they are likely to choose to keep this coordination because it is already associated in their brain with the concept of comfort. A horse ah. does not think politics. A horse only thinks comfort. So <laughs> <when> they... <laughs> Smart <laughs> creatures. You know, Jean-Luc, I, I, 
I'm sorry, but we we're we're just about out of time, and I could I could listen to you for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, what I'm going to suggest is now you you offer clinics throughout the United States. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay. And in um, fact, we we are going to create in uh, our place. We are going to to move in Georgia, and we are going to create a series uh, of uh, stage stay two day four day six day, which we call immersion which is a, a, a complete immersion in this program. So you have the practical application on the horse, you have the theory behind the practical application, you have access of all the scientific study. We do a lot of video. Uh, the, the lessons are recorded on video. Then we analyze the video to explain that what the horse did, that was a problem, that what you could do, etc. Uh, we have a skeleton, which is in a conference room, a horse skeleton. So, and uh, he said in a way that we can move him. So we have the, uh, we are going to explain in great detail when you feel that, that's what happened on the horse. Okay. That the way you feel it, that's what happened. And, and um, the more we understand in our mind how that works, the more we become capable in our body to uh, feel well. The feeling, it's a perception. So the perception <coughs> is always good. But what that means, that we are misunderstanding. Our ancestors feel a greater motion of their horse body. The feeling was correct. When they think that it was more motion of the spine, the interpretation was wrong. So the, the, the idea to the more we understand how the horse body functions, the better rider we are. Well, I think that um, a, a good start for our listeners today would be to go to your website, which is www.scienceofmotion.com. And, of course, we'll put a link to your website at stablescoop.com. And there's so much information up there about how um, listeners can find more information about your training philosophy, about the progress in science and study that you've made in particular, and, of course, where you can be found um, your, your videos, your books, and your clinics. Thank you so much, Jean-Luc, for joining us today. Uh, and I hope that we can follow up with you once you've got these new, um, this, this new program going in Georgia. Uh, we'd love to have you back on again. Anytime. Okay? It was a great pleasure to talk with you. So that's thescienceofmotion.com. And uh, if you forget that, just go to stablescoop.com because we know you all remember StableScoop. And we will put links and uh, perhaps we can even get a video clip of uh, Chazo on there because that that's fun watching. <clears throat> Woohoo! Thank you very much to Jean-Luc Corneille for joining us today and of course to my good friend Jennifer H. Be sure to log on next Friday for another Stable Scoop episode where who knows what we're talking about. If I was organized, I would know, but let's make it a surprise. Just tune in next Friday. For details about today's show, go to stablescoop.com where you'll find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we really love your feedback, so please follow us on Facebook under Stable Scoop at Twitter, at Horse Radio, and of course, you're always welcome to leave us feedback at stablescoop.com forward slash contact. Many thanks to our sponsors, Equestrian Collections, Omega Alpha, and Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products. And be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. I think that's it for this week, Jen. Woohoo! <laughs> There'll be plenty more next week. Mm-hmm.